0: are worlds between our own and from these worlds there are written histories both ancient and modern to read of these testaments scrawled in hidden places and on other things you must fix your eyes uncomfortably within you and if successful your gaze will unlock the door behind raw imagination and meet the manuscript of innumerable Known as the Dark Verse.
1: Hello, I'm Sharkchild, and this is the Dark Verse. Short stories of occult, metaphysical, and fantastical horror that will follow you to the visions of your sleep I don't know about you but there have been people in my life that I've come across that are always complaining about one thing or another about themselves like they have this ache or this pain or their tummy hurts or they're sick in this way and then they get out of doing this chore or this task and I have this wish that I could just feel what they're feeling for a moment so I could know that they're being honest because I really don't think they are And the complaining is just outrageous to me. So um, this story comes from that idea. It's that idea that led me to write this story. It's not necessarily about that, but that's where it started. The germ of thought that evolved into what this story is. So I just wanted to share that and let's get right into it. This is episode 105 of The Dark Verse and it is entitled The Supplicants of
0: In memory, what I saw felt only as a dream, a picture so surreal that only the wild and deviant subconscious should have been able to conjure such a display. I doubted many of the account's details over time as knowledge and experience established a clear border between reality and fantasy. Even with the event elaborated upon the permanence of paper, a goblin of the mind worked to discredit its authenticity. But when I saw my sister, when I saw her work and show the power of her tainted existence... The foreboding truth of this remembrance always struck forth. I was four years old and playing alongside my sister in the bedroom we shared. She was one year older than I and was occupied by amusements apart from my own. Before me, an array of fantastical figurines were sprawled amidst a battle at the foot of a wooden block tower. I placed a ghost figurine at the pinnacle of the makeshift structure, an overlord preparing to weigh in upon the struggle with its mighty magic. I remember staring into its wide, black eyes when the pounding cadence began. I knew the sound. It was the rattle of our bedroom sliding mirrored closet door. My sister was kneeling upon the carpeted floor, rocking back and forth mindlessly, ramming the mirrored surface with her forehead. Her pulse started off slow, but soon she was hitting with such force that the door came free from its track. I asked her what she was doing, but she ignored my inquiry and continued to pummel the dislocated fixture. I remember standing behind her, watching, unmoved by the outlandishness of her actions. Out of curiosity, not confusion, I absorbed her mysterious ensnarement. From head to toe, her features, that reflected back at me through the mirror, imprinted upon my vision. Her eyes were voids, staring blankly into ethereal distances. Her mouth was suspended, a small, unchanging opening that breathed condensation upon the glass. Her hair was tied in a ponytail. Her fingers and toes were clenched. In the corner of the room, and of my eyes, a miniature naked man-creature the height of a chair-seat stood with arms crossed at the waist, one hand upon the other arm's wrist. His smallness was not attributed to a medical condition, His muscle tone and limb lengths were proportionate in every facet, but he was diminutive in size. He was covered in scars and strange markings, watching the incident in much the same manner I did. Aside from the Minikin man, I sensed something else there with us, a hidden presence, a presence that was the source of my sister's bewitching, that held her and that used her like a human battering ram. The glass cracked as my sister's vigor increased. My father came from somewhere else in the house, but by the time he arrived, shards had already begun to cascade from the glass plane and strike her. He screamed when he saw her and rushed to retrieve her from harm. Blood covered his arms as he raced out of the room with a lacerated daughter. I turned and looked directly at the Minikin man, and he looked directly at me. Bizarre, triangular pupils glared into my essence. They glowed, and as soon as they had been printed upon my vision, he was gone. Black triangles lingered in my sight as I remained frozen in stupor. That was the memory kindling in my mind as I stood at the base of a circular grandstand amongst great multitudes of hollering fanatics, watching as huge screens hanging within a large arena began to display the tallying of votes. Each audience member connected to the arena's network and submitted his or her choice for the next match of Pain Embodiment League. The votes were shown in a vertical bar chart of real-time percentages that fluctuated with their accumulation. Eaton Alive led the vote at 32%, with Laser Sketch trailing in second at 27%. Skinned was third at 16%, Stretching was fourth at 14%, and Heart Needles was fifth at 11%. Once eaten Alive was locked in as the winning pain embodiment, a new poll was opened for further customization of the theme. The new ballot contained the following options for how the eaten Alive pain embodiment would be implemented. Lion, rats, shark, cannibals, crocodile, and piranhas. This segment of voting ended with shark taking the win. What started as a breakthrough in medical diagnostics, allowing doctors to replicate the pain and discomfort of their patients, became a vessel of recreation when the patents of its methods expired. The process was called pain embodiment and gave the full experience of a pain source without the physical ailment or infliction of its cause. In the health industry, the use of pain embodiment was conservative and well-regulated, but once it became public, extravagance permeated its core and unleashed the devils of imaginative hurt. Pain became a commodity that was packaged and sold, from the sensations of different poisons to the final ghastly days of various cancers from the amputation of digits and limbs to the gruesomeness of pubbing through a corridor of swords. Pains of all kinds could be endured from a small percentage of their potency all the way to their unbearable zeniths. Pain embodiment could be used in small, consumer-affordable doses as a cheap thrill, Or it could be used in costly and intricate mind transfers as a 100% accurate recreation for purposes of mass entertainment. The latter was exactly what the PEL, Pain Embodiment League, used it for. One competitor's tolerance of an unthinkable pain pitted against another competitor's tolerance of that same pain. These matches ventured beyond the horrors of the grave, where death's mercy of liberation never came. For as long as the rivals could endure the agony, the pain would continue. A victor arose when someone tapped out by moaning or screaming. From the audience's selection of the pain embodiment, to the screen aids with imaging that visualized the adversary's induction to the pain, the sport gripped and stunned the world. At the sound of a concussive note of music, the screens went blank and the lights of the arena dimmed. A deep male voice came on over the sound system. The pain, the pain has, been, has chosen. been chosen. Let's welcome, welcome your, your competitor On the black, black table, table, with an with impressive 7-in-1 seven seven record, Singa. Singa Steelhouse, Steelhouse. Jharvius. And on the white white table, table, your your reigning, undefeated undefeated champion champion of pain, pain, Tombstone, tombstone. who will be victoriously victoriously eaten eaten alive alive by a shark. shark. Pain, Pain, the voice stopped, is the game, the crowd chanted in unison to close the signature phrase. The screens turned back on with footage of the participants walking under spotlights from backstage to the ring in the center of the arena. Sangha Steelhouse Jaharvius bounced along the path to the ring, giving high fives to the crowd with enthusiasm while intermittently hollering and replacing her visage with fierce snarls and grimaces tombstone was concealed in a hooded black robe and strode straight to the ring upon entering it the garment was cast off revealing a middle-aged woman with the look of death her face was unmoving her grayish black hair was brittle and thin her skin was rough and wrinkled misery covered her this was my sister Each woman walked up to an upright, padded table designed with the contours of a human. Senga's was black, and Tombstone's was white. They pressed their backs against the gingerbread man-shaped tables while officials strapped them in. Their ankles, calves, thighs, waists, chests, arms, wrists, hands, necks, and heads were each fastened under immovable and inescapable straps. The officials signaled once they had concluded and then left the ring. Again, a loud, concussive note of sound rang out, and both of the tables along with their challengers rose up off the floor a short distance on hydraulic bases and angled downward towards each other so that they could stare straight into one another's eyes. The tables the two women were affixed upon acted as large electrodes that connected to their brains and nervous systems. Through advanced technology, the brain's receptors to their physical nervous systems were rerouted to digital replacements. This allowed the breadth of the pain to be experienced in full while their actual bodies were left immune to repercussions such as shock, heart attacks, and other traumas that the extreme pain would otherwise cause. For the duration of the match, the two women would feel pain as if it were physically rendered, but it offered no real harm. A countdown began on the screens. Five, four, three, two, one. The crowd chanted along with the sequence. On the screens, the digitized versions of the competitors' bodies appeared in blue simulated water next to close-ups of their live faces. All of the pain embodiment's activities would be reflected on these avatars, so the audience could see exactly what was occurring and exactly what these opponents would be going through were the affliction truly occurring in the physical realm. For example, if the pain embodiment were to mimic the pain of a burn on the right arm, then that burn would be reflected on the right arms of the bodies on the screens. A lifelike, computer-generated great white shark swam into view on the screens, circling its victims and teasing the audience before swimming up to each of the avatars in unison and biting off their left legs. Blood graphics oozed from the wounds Sangha's face twitched while tombstones remained stolen. The crowd cheered as the match continued. Every time my sister was in the ring facing a pain embodiment, the Presence was there with her. I could feel its energy and I could always detect the Minikin man watching from an obscure location. For this event, I discovered him perched within the trusses over the ring. Although I did not see the presence's involvement or manipulation in any of my sister's past 22 victories, it was surely still accomplishing some goal in conjunction with her pain. The digital shark swam back around and bit hard into the avatar's torsos, shaking them while its jaws were clamped around their flesh. The lip on Sangha's face quivered and her pupils oscillated. Tombstone's visage continued to remain unchanged apart from watering eyes. More approval emanated from the audience. The shark made another pass at the avatars, this time chomping off their right shoulders and arms. Blood profusely coiled and coagulated with the electronic water environment. Both women felt every possibility of pain in this scenario. They felt the shark's teeth sink into them. They felt it rip them apart. They felt limbs and organs divest. They felt a waning sense of life as blood vacated at an incredible rate. Horror now rode itself into Sangha's expression, a horror also felt by anyone who gazed upon it. Everyone in that arena knew that she should have screamed and seceded from the match, but something held her from it. The crowd now looked on discomfortingly in silence. I knew what it was that barred Sangha Steelhouse Jaharvius. It was the presence. It was holding her, keeping her from surrender. It was allowing the pain to continue and extend to hellish levels for my sister." On the next pass, the shark devoured the rest of the two opponents, starting with the heads and then savagely tearing through the rest of the bodies, bite after bite. It was a digitized gore-fest. Never before had an audience of Pain Embodiment League witnessed such a delving into pain. Sangha's eyes glossed over and rolled backward into her head, her status unknown. But all attention diverted to my sister. She started shaking with great force within her restraints. The table and the base it was connected to trembled under the power. Then my sister's eyes transfigured. They began to glow and cast light out into the dark arena before the pupils shifted into triangular shapes akin to those that the Minikin Man possessed. The straps binding her were ripped away by invisible strength. She fell from the table and stopped mid-air in an unseen embrace. For one moment, as she regained control of her body, she looked my way, casting a vision through me with her altered eyes, sharing with me the brief summary of her pain. Then her, the Presence, and the Minikin Man were gone. My sister had ascended to a higher plane of existence. She had been chosen from her youth to undergo a great trial of pain, to become an acolyte in an occult congregation that spanned the dimensions of time and space. They were servants of pain, but wielders of otherworldly grace that was only unlocked through immense supernatural tribulation. It was not something I could comprehend. It was a sensation that washed over me that conveyed both verity and authority. There was more strength in pain than could ever be imagined. I witnessed an initiation, but never would I see these cosmic agents' true purpose or have the eyes to understand what I did see. I could only be proud of my sister and trust that she was now able to live the life she had been deprived of and that it would be full of magnificence and hope. That concludes the
1: 105th episode of The Dark Verse. If you'd like to listen to and or download the past episodes, you can do so at SoundCloud, on iTunes, or at thedarkverse.com. If you love these stories and would like to support them financially, you can do so at Patreon, ncom slash thedarkverse. Or... You could always pick up a Kindle version of one of the Darkverse volumes or pick up the elegant and beautiful hardcover tomes. There are three of them, and there will be a fourth coming soon this year. That's it. I'll see you on the next episode, and have a great week. All stories on the Darkverse are the sole property of Sharkchild and cannot be used for distribution, publication, or monetary gain without his written consent. Sleep deeply and remember to love.